Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Please listen carefully. What is communication? The act of taking a thought from my head and putting it into your essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Usually what I have in my head to the outside world draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. I think it's the ability to share your innermost feelings and thoughts with others. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, Episode 75, proud member of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm excited for you all to be here, and I'm excited because I'm joined, as always, by Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. And special guest host this week, Summer Lore. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. Hello, Summer. Welcome. We want you at home to, as always, be part of our show. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. That takes you directly to our network friends over at XPN. Uh, From there, you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Or call us or text us 614-681-1798. And of course, if you like us and you want to be part of the show, patreon.com slash mwhproduction. And also a new way, uh, a thing I just set up today, it's subscribe.speechsciencepodcast.com. We will get into your email box and send you these episodes hours, maybe a day before they hit iTunes. Congratulations. Michelle, you are smiling. The excitement exudes out of you. Uh, it exudes. I just can't wait to have another email from Matt in my inbox. Oh, <laughs> uh, but it's not from me. It's from speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. That, yes, this is true. And Michelle, you are the Speech Science Podcast social media manager. If they are a texter, not a talker, where can they find us? Oh, well, you should hop on Instagram at speech underscore science and hashtag SS pod. And I have to give a little credit, though, a lot of credit to Mike. He's been pretty awesome with the Instagram. So we are splitting the duties of social media managing. I know, but Michael's not here. So you get the credit. So I win on this one. Yes. We are recording this the Good Friday Uh, before Easter, so a couple of days ago when you hear this. And we are joined by a social media manager herself, Summer Lore. Summer, thank you so much for jumping in to be our guest host this week. Yeah, I'm really excited. And if Summer sounds familiar, she was on our show back in November, I think around ASHA. And then we have you on the future episode uh, talking about comic books. But Summer, how do people know you if they go, why does that name sound so familiar? Um, they might know me from my blog, slbeeps.com, which is for type B SLPs, or they might know me from Facebook or uh, actually from 
Twitter or Instagram. I'm kind of on all the social media. So Michelle, you were excited because you and I might be the most type B personality SLPs on the show, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I got, I haven't met Mike in person for anyone who knows Mike and I have not met in person. Have you met Mike in person yet? No, but he has a private practice. So you have to be somewhat organized to handle billing. I Well, that's a misconception that type B's are not organized. See, I wanted to say that's exactly. totally the case. Yeah. Uh, but I, I did tell Matt this before I, you have, we knew Summer was joining us. Matt and I went to grad school together as a lot of the listeners know. And I used to think that I was type A until I went to grad school. <laughs> I realized, or I thought that I was borderline type A, type B. And then I went to grad school and I went, whoa, I'm type B. Okay. <laughs> got it yeah it's really i mean grad school is the kind of pressure cooker that really really brings out your uh personality in a deep and profound way and and yeah i i really thought uh there were only a handful of type b slps and um it turns out there is a ton of us we are everywhere a little do you know, and we help each other out, right? I got to learn from the really type A's and they got to learn from the type B's. <laughs> Absolutely. I used to get uh, direct messages from, uh, I mean, fairly frequently that were like, can you teach me how to relax? And I was like, no, I cannot. <laughs> it's just naturally oh. to me. Well, I, I think I attended a type A personality and I have nothing against type A personalities. You guys are the ones that get things taken care of but like i went to one that was like telling me how to avoid burnout and they were like you have to schedule a time for your meditation every day and, da, 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 da. and i was like oh i can't i can't do that i don't i don't have scheduled bathroom breaks i can't schedule like this is where i'm going to take 10 minutes of mindfulness with my wonderful classical music but no, I think it absolutely takes all kinds and i have had amazing collaborations with very highly strung um, people. And uh, I really appreciate the diversity that all the different kinds of personalities can bring to the field. My husband and I balance each other out. He's so type A compared to- Is he type A? <laughs> yeah, Same. he's probably listening around the corner. <laughs> I was gonna say, he's just sitting over there going, okay, well, I'm gonna make Michelle the list of what she needs to do for this week. <laughs> I do like oh. lists though, I love lists. <laughs> I, I have to have an app. It feels so good to write everything down so I can immediately forget all about it and not do anything <laughs> on it. Um, it makes me feel like I'm going to get it done. <laughs> the alternative to a to-do list is a to-da list where you write down everything you've already done and then you feel really proud of yourself. <laughs> oh my gosh, Summer, you need to be on our podcast more often. I said this to Matt and Mike. I'm not even kidding. This was probably 10 episodes ago and I said, yeah. oh yeah, my to-do list, I write the first five things I've done on the top of it so they're crossed out already. <laughs> Oh my awesome. gosh. Let's get this show started, guys. Summer, we always start our show off this way. Tell us something fun or exciting that has happened to you this past week, therapy or not therapy related. I have been on uh, spring break, so I have not done anything therapy related, which is really exciting. Normally, I, I do take some work home with me. Here's what, I, uh, here's what I've been doing is the wildflowers in California 
are shocking and amazing right now. We are having our uh, big bloom. There are entire hillsides that are lavender or yellow, and I am getting out almost every day to um, take pictures of flowers like it's Pokemon Go or something, and I'm so excited about it. That's awesome. Michelle, how is life down in, are you in Kentucky today or where are you at? In, where today. in America is Michelle? I know we could, we could map it out. Um, no, I actually drove past, I think your exit today, Matt. And I thought about you because we were driving <laughs> through the rain to get to my family in Ohio from Kentucky. And that is where we are for Easter weekend. Yeah, thank you for the text message. I was out doing things I today. I text and drive in the rain, Matt. Come on. Hey, Matt, want to do lunch in your city? Okay. Here, wow. Here, Here's the <laughs> truth, though, why we didn't stop and meet up with you is because we had mm -hmm. a nine-month-old and a cat. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll feel you that. I'll feel That's you that. Quite a road trip. Oh, this week for me, uh, due to a family emergency, had to drive out the PA, which was a four-hour drive out there. And then we had to drive, I had to drive back by myself. And due to a flipped-over semi uh, in the middle of Wheeling, West Virginia, my four-hour trip turned into seven. And if you say, hey, Matt, why didn't you use your GPS to go around the flip truck? Uh, I dropped my GPS as I was getting into my car, <laughs> as I was saying goodbye to my wife, and it fractured. And if anyone knows the Cabela's exit off of Wheeling, your cell phone doesn't work out there if you have T-Mobile. Oh, it, it sure doesn't. So it was either go buy a map or sit and wait until the highway reopened. Matt opted for option two. I did. Type B. Uh, I went in and watched the first uh, quarter or period of the Columbus Blue Jackets game on Tuesday. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I ate a sandwich with coleslaw and french fries on it, and it was delicious. Well, so, I hope that's like everything's story, okay though. with your family, too. It's getting better. Uh, I have to give my wife a shout-out because she is a wonderful rock, and I realize how much of a weak human I am compared to her. So there's my wife shout-out for the week because she won't be walking in the, tonight during the recording like she always does. <laughs> on the episode today, we're going to talk a little bit about a warning sign, an early warning sign for dementia. Also, a new class is going to be mandatory in some schools, so we're going to talk about the impact on education. But first, a positive story uh, involving AAA and ASHA, AAA, the governing body for audiologists. This one comes out of the PRweb.com. Uh, AAA and ASHA issue suggested best practices for determining eligibility for captioned telephone services. Uh, I've never actually used a caption telephone service, but I will look to Michelle, who used to work uh, as an SLP in a hearing impaired school, correct? Uh, school for the Deaf and the Blind. School for the, I, I didn't yeah. want to be, I didn't want to mispronounce oh, it, but what good. is it's caption, good. what is a caption telephone service? Oh, well, I know there's a wide variety and obviously I haven't used them needed to use them personally, but um, I've seen them used and it can be, Either, there's options that are online where you text your message and then someone calls physically makes the phone call for you um, or they type out what someone says and you read it but then there's also relay services that are video based because I had a, co a couple co-workers who actually worked as a side gig doing interpreting who were hearing a new sign language like teachers of the deaf who would work with a relay service uh, video relay 
and they'd be on call to take to take calls. Oh, that's pretty cool. Between say Matt would call, I would be the interpreter, and then your deaf friend is on the other line, um, signing back to me, and then I voice it to you. If I were the interpreter, I'm not an interpreter, oh. FYI. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, and this is talking about minimal standards, uh, determining eligibility for funding. Uh, this is one of those new gray paths that we're kind of all working our ways into as technology speeds up. It, well, I've said it before on the show. It's a wonderful time for therapists and, and folks with disabilities because technology is advancing at such a high rate. But also people are getting funding that they really shouldn't. We look at a lot of AAC apps that may not be the best. We look at a lot of money scams. Is this a, this is a good step, right? That ASHA is wading into the waters and, and lining up with another uh, organization in the field to set limits, right? Am I, am I wrong here? Is this a good thing? So I'm, I'm looking at the article now, but it's saying that ASHA and the audiological association, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Are, trying to make sure just that the right that the funding is going to the right places am i am i correct with that i was shaking my head yes i'm sorry i thought you were going to keep going or or something no i i guess i was (laughs) i know that was sometime around early 1990s maybe around 1990 was when that was mandated that relay services should be available so that the phone system could be used by people who were deaf or hard of hearing but it does make sense with changes in technology because it started with a typewriter. I'm pretty sure, you know, to uh, really, yeah. To to, from a phone call to someone typing out that message and now it's internet based and it's text based and it's cell phone based and all of that. So there's all sorts of relay services. So I'm not sure what they're trying to evaluate, but there's a lot to look at now because of technology. Yeah, I'd be very interested in uh, to know how the use of those services has changed with technology and with more people having the option of just doing video chat or texting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often wonder if, like, I don't want to say people are purposely scamming when they look at trying to get money, federal money to fix something or work with something with a disability. Uh, I don't think it's a purposeful scam, but I often wonder if it's they don't know how to implement something, so they spend money to spend money, and it ends up going in the wrong direction. Hmm. And I didn't Does realize, yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at this article now, I didn't realize that under the Americans with Disabilities Act, right, these services were offered free of charge to people who are deaf and hard of hearing, but that mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Federal Communications Commission regulations prohibit the use of that by people who do not by of cts so of um what is it uh caption telephone services yeah specifically so not some of the free services that are available that are internet-based but specifically captioned telephone services are strictly to be used by people with a hearing loss and not meant to be used even if someone who resides in the same house as them wow well specifically like speaking of west virginia that's where my parents live and where they live you absolutely cannot get a cell phone signal it doesn't matter 
So unless they're on Wi-Fi, they would not be able to use a phone. So if, so I wonder um, if, say, people in rural areas or people with some in some areas, the internet is still very slow. Um, mm -hmm. If that might be an issue as well. Yeah, I was reading this thing where they want to talk about how well can the patient or the the person use. Uh, telephone currently are available of existing telephone technologies, including smartphone visual communication options such as FaceTime, availability of amplified systems, and et cetera. So I guess they're trying to, maybe that'll be a way to cut funding as well for someone that could use FaceTime versus regular audio, I guess. Hmm. Hey, we're right there with you at home. Uh, make sure you head to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Let us know what your thoughts are about ASHA wading into an area to help with funding for services for our patients, or what is your experience uh, with uh, CTS. Uh, you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or give us a phone call or text 614-681-1798, or hashtag us, SSPod. Our next story coming out of NBC News Center, Maine. Maine is looking to add a brand new mandatory class uh, in personal finance. But when we talk about or, uh, mandatory classes, I cannot talk tonight. Mandatory classes. How is this going to affect what we do already for our kids that are in resource room that struggle to get their credits already? That's a good point. I hadn't thought about the struggle to get credits already, but if it is being incorporated into a course that's already there, because I know some it's more of a unit, is this an actual separate course that's being added to the requirements? A separate course, a personal finance course. Uh, part of the bill says, quote, through the years, the department has heard from not only teachers, but also from legislators about the importance of strengthening the teaching of personal finance. There's a growing call to help ensure that our youngest citizens have an understanding of how to approach their finances even before they leave high school. The department has worked to ensure that the revised standards are explicit in teaching of personal finance. I personally think this is terrific. When I work with my, uh, with the life skills kids, that's, I mean, yes, there's, they will not be doing it at this level, but that's a huge part of what we do with them is understanding the basics of money you go you hand your money to the clerk and you don't wander away before you get your change and like you know that's what we're doing at the middle school level for the kids who need to work on that um the other thing this makes me think of is the meme um that i've heard uh yelled by a few of my um higher language students which is the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell which is to say, um, the original joke was basically, um, I don't know how to balance a checkbook. I don't know how to do the most basic adulting, but for some reason, I still know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That is true. I still do know the mitochondria was the powerhouse, and I know that it was passed down on the, uh, the mom side, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> There you go, Matt. But I, I'm kind of with Summer on this, that I think they're, they're going to have to take into account because there are just a limited number of hours in the day and credits that 
kids are required. So some things probably has to give, whether it's an elective credit that they don't get anymore, and now they have to take personal finance or some other credit. So it's got to be worked into what's already there. Now, for some of our kids in the self-contained units, we teach, uh, not we, our teachers teach the dollar dollar up mm-hmm. level. Do you, are you guys familiar with yeah, that? Yeah, that's what we do. Oh my gosh, I've never learned that until I was working in, in my current high school. And now I'm going to teach my son. Can that. you tell me what it is? Yeah. So basically, you uh, if you buy something and the checkout counter says that, or the, the checkout counter, the <laughs> cashier says it's a dollar thirty-five. Well, you round the dollar thirty-five up to two bucks. You hand them the two dollars, so that way you automatically know you're sub- you've gave them at least enough money. Oh, okay. Yeah. So dollar up, very simple concept. It makes sense, right? So for kids who are just starting to get the uh, the concept of one-to-one correspondence, like the kids I work with in middle school, um, knowing how to give roughly the right amount of money is really, really important, especially because if there's going to be a problem or the cashier says, I'm sorry, this isn't the right amount, they might not understand. So helping them do it correctly the first time is really important. And then the other thing about this class for more gen ed kids is um, I'm really curious if they're going to talk about things like uh, making choices about how much college debt you want to take on. (laughs) The debt to uh, income ratio. Uh, My first career was not in speech pathology. I was a communications major with a uh, uh, focus in digital media convergence, which was theater, print, radio, and television. Took four years of college to learn how to do what I'm doing right now. And I, uh, my job went out of business and I took a job in upstate New York and I was being trained by this guy and I thought I was the greatest thing on earth. And I said, I went to college. I have a four-year degree. I worked in the top 30 market. Where did you come from? What school did you go to? And he's like, I worked at Arby's and they really liked my voice on the uh, drive-thru. So uh, they hired me and I was like, I have $120,000 in debt and you don't. That's funny. Right? My undergrad degree was in sociology and anthropology, and it was fascinating, and I loved it. But, um, you know, then I had uh, jobs in childcare, which, you know, paved the way for me to find this career and was amazing, and I loved it, but not what I would call a living wage necessarily, mm-hmm. especially not with college debt. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, and my undergrad was not in speech either. I think Matt and I bonded over that in yeah. grad school because we both worked in other fields first. But um, I do, I like the idea of this personal finance class. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times do a, a young adults and older adults say, I, I should have learned not just balance a checkbook, but how to file my taxes, how to, you could run down the list. But uh, I chose as an elective to take personal finance as a senior in college. And I wish I'd taken it as a senior in high school. I took an accounting class senior year of high school. Nice. I mean, it was basically uh, the it was a one semester course, and the first quarter was personal accounting. They gave you a big workbook, and they just talked about, oh, you have a bill, and here's how to write a check, and here's how to balance a checkbook. And then the second quarter was how to run a business accounting. Oh, neat. So. 
I mean, so you learned about credits and debits and how to balance it at the end of a quarter. And, you know, it was very big picture stuff, not the nitty gritty. I don't think I could run into GE and say, hey, I'm capable of being your next uh, account manager. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, for the to go back to the dollar up thing, I was just thinking about this. We also teach the kids on how to budget using that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys done that summer, yeah. but where like if a kid says, okay, this thing costs 99 cents and we're like, okay, well that's a dollar. And then the next thing they want to buy is $2 and 25 cents. And they go, okay, well that's three bucks. So I need at least four. And if they brought $8 with them, now they know that they've only got $4 left to spend on something. And if it costs $4 and 20 cents, they go, oh, I can't afford that. I have to wait till next week. Cause we take some of our kids out thrifting where you go to the thrift store and buy yes. fun games or, or movies or whatever. Yeah. We have a classroom currency. So they do school store, um, every day. Um, and the, the practice is terrific because we can't necessarily get out on a lot of field trips. Our school's pretty isolated. It's in the middle of a strawberry field basically. So, um, so it's terrific for them to get that. Do you say your school's day. in the middle of a strawberry field? I mean, I have several schools and yeah, most of them are in the middle of strawberry fields. Yes. That's um, awesome. Strawberry fields, artichoke fields, lettuce fields, and broccoli fields. This is uh, California, right? This is California. This is Northern California, <laughs> the uh, salad bowl of America and the artichoke capital of the world. I just want to come hang out there. <laughs> right? <laughs> On the way to school or class, just eating on the way there. Parents don't usually bring us uh, strawberries. Occasionally they do, but sometimes they have like uh, like a box of romaine lettuce that wouldn't fit on the truck and that kind of thing. <laughs> it was just picked like by the parents of my kids this morning. Um, that's awesome. That's fun. We want to know where you're doing your therapy. Do you have fields of romaine <laughs> right outside your school? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Also, make sure that while you're listening to this on wherever you're listening to it, make sure you give us the five stars if you think we deserve it. And also maybe write us a cute little note. We'll, uh, we'll read it on air. You can also email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Or like you did during the Talking With Tech and Speech Science crossover episode, text us 614-681-1798 or make Michelle and Michael happy. What do they do? Hashtag SSPod, Instagram, speech underscore science. Or Twitter, speech science PC, standing for podcast, because I'm cool. <laughs> Oh, man, I just felt like Tom from Parks and Rec right there for a moment. I feel so bad. <laughs> Say what, Michelle? PC, I mean, politically correct. I don't know. <laughs> no, speech science podcast, just like all the kids. Oh, my gosh. Um, Matt, I had this uh, thought real quick. I was going to tell you. Yeah. Uh, any of you ever read Reader's Digest? My grandfather always had Reader's Digest, and yeah. it had I love those. in it, the little blurbs that people wrote in. And I remember years ago, I this just came to mind. <laughs> reading one about their mother had passed away and they realized that she had she was elderly and that she had always apparently balancing her checkbook rounded it 
and they were like oh, oh. no <laughs> so they went back through years of checkbooks and what was really funny is the total difference was something like three cents like it was all together from all the time that's awesome rounding works so the dollar up method guys I, I use dollar up all the time in my checkbook. And then at the end of the month, I've always got an extra $50 to buy something cool for the shelves behind me. <laughs> there you go. That's why the donors, and, when they ask you, oh, do you want to round up for whatever the cause is at a store? That's true. I think that's that's why it works because those pennies add up. That is true. I don't know. I got nothing. Just the dollar up works in my life. And evidently I need to teach my sons that our last story coming out of the courthouse news service. Uh, there's a warning sign potentially of dementia. And that is a weakness for scams. I never would have thought about this until I read this article. Uh, basically they're saying that uh, if you have a family member who, you know, has never really bought into telemarketers or scams or switching your electric to the new fancy dancy out of state electric company. And then all of a sudden they're buying extended warranties for their vehicles. They're entering the publisher's clearinghouse. They are donating money to somebody that called them. It, it may be an early sign for dementia. Matt, this ties actually right to my Reader's Digest story. I didn't even think of it because oh, I, okay. my grandfather, same grandfather, um, who had he passed away years ago, and wonderful, wonderful man, but one of the early signs that we knew, looking back, I never made this connection of um, dementia was because he had magazine subscriptions till 10 years out because you know how they send those automated oh. renewals the, to say, renew it now before it expires and you we had already renewed it for the next year. So we still got Reader's Digest well long past his life because because of that. So there you go. Thanks, Grandpa. We love it. But stop sending us Reader's Digest. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's a good magazine, though, so I can't complain. Right, 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 right. right. But 10 years. <laughs> it's right now very possible and not, I think, particularly illegal for someone to put in my husband's number and say the outgoing calls coming from him. It is a cheap piece of software you can get that I believe they're moving toward making illegal this year. But I think we even had that that software where it wasn't even software. It was back on the old phones where you could dial star. Oh, I forget what it was like star something, something mm -hmm. for people that had caller ID where you could enter in a different phone number. Yes, it's the same for, for caller ID. It's basically, um, it's the same legal loophole. Yeah. Um, which is why, personally, I just don't answer my phone, but my parents still do. They barely use their voicemail. <laughs> well, I often think, and, and, you know, there's a personal story. I think everyone's got something like this. Like, I, I remember looking back at my grandma who just passed away uh, a year ago last December, and you know, one of those extended warranties. They got her for like four or $5,000 to give her an extended warranty on her 2003 uh, Jetta, whatever it was. No, Volkswagen low-end Passat or whatever it was. And it was like, I think you paid more in your warranty than what the car was worth. Mm -hmm. 
but they got and her. And they make them look, I've had to reread those before many times in the mail, the extended warranties, because it really makes it look like it's from a legit source. And you have to find the tiny, small font at the end, the small disclaimer that says it's a third party. Yep. And I, uh, the stud, oh, sorry. I just think this is uh, really important across the, across the spectrum of everybody SLPs work with, um, because just not having a great understanding of scams is something I see in my students as well. Uh, for this study, they, they looked at 935 seniors, mostly in their 70s and 80s, with no known brain uh, difficulties or deficits. They took a scam awareness questionnaire and then took yearly brain tests for an average of six years. During the study, 151 seniors were then diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Uh, another 255 were diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. And 264 patients or participants passed away uh, during the study, but they underwent brain autopsies. Uh, and the ones with the lower scam awareness on the study start had a buildup of sticky plaque in their brains that is the quote-unquote hallmark of Alzheimer's. Wow. wow. Yeah, and that's a long good longitudinal study right there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I find this very... Very interesting because how often do you hear stories of, you know, the first sign that someone realized something was wrong with their grandparent was they were this loving person who enjoyed everybody, no matter their race, color, creed or religion. And then all of a sudden they started to show racial uh, preferences or they would use a slur or they would hate people of certain religions. And then all of a sudden you know, they say something in public and they go, that's not, that's not grandpa. And they go get him tested and it's, oh my gosh, he's got, he scored an eight on the mini mental or, or similar. I mean, I, well, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Summer. I mean, I think there's also, right. As, as people's ability to um, separate out fact, fiction and opinion does start to devolve it's you know i don't know how to say it without saying it but it's really important what uh what media they're taking in no you can say it it's important to know that that who owns what media you've got and and what bias or spin they're putting on it right so i mean that's that's another issue my grandmother used to watch fox news religiously even though she agreed you can with, say it it's okay with none of it because she loved yelling at the television and my dad would always ask her if she was learning how to be a republican in her sleep because she just kept it on 24 hours a day and stressed everybody out and you know a big part of her identity was that that wasn't her and she didn't believe a thing they said but um but on the other end of the political spectrum, she did, you know, uh, fall for some kind of wackadoo things. Well, and if I remember right from neuroscience, Matt, you can help me since you were at my lab group. Um, <laughs> the prefrontal cortex, right? Our filter is yep. the one of the latest to develop. And first and to first go. to go. Yeah, first deterioration of your brain so i mean there's a, a physiological explanation i don't want to excuse it all but there's no. a, a physiological explanation for someone who you know grew up in a certain era and then has grown out of that and and adapted to the world around them and then that filter goes away or that they've reverted well, back to you know started to revert back to an age when um when it, no yeah, i got you, you know what i'm saying it, 
and, and but I find it interesting that there's a test for scam awareness. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's something that we need to incorporate into our therapy bag of tricks. I think that's like, a good idea. I, I do home health care. And there's sometimes I'll test somebody and they're like, hey, my mom, it's just there's something wrong. She had a fall. We have PT. We wanted speech to come out. You know, and I'll be like, okay, no, no. I hear this all the time. I come out. I do my mini mental and they score a 25 or 26. And if you don't do the mini mental all the time, 26 is kind of normal. 25 is mild cognitive deficit. Um, And then on the slums, you know, if they graduated high school, they may score a 26. And on the slums, it's the St. Louis University mental scale. Uh, 27 is considered normal and 26 is just one question wrong. And if a patient scores in that one point off from normal, I usually tell them, I'm like, hey, here's what's happening. You may benefit from therapy. You may not. But here's what we're going to do. If you don't want me to come out, here's what I would do for them. But it doesn't ever answer the question that they say, hey, my mom is just off. She, you know, we're worried about her being taken advantage of. Uh, A a scam awareness test would would be wonderful to give. And I think that's a huge I mean, I feel like with adult clients and with any clients, um, I think quality of life is one of the biggest things we're looking at. And we want them to be as independent as possible um, while also giving them some safeguards to avoid being taken advantage of. I am looking at scamawareness.org to see if there is a test on here. And that's well said, Summer, that we don't want them taken advantage of. And and we work with young patients and students for that as well. We work on it quite a bit. And I, you know, I honestly am really scared for a lot of my middle school students who um, Mm -hmm. really want to have friends. And when someone says, hey, I need you to take this baggie from here over there, um, or I had a student who was like, hey, hey, I'm going to have friends in high school. Someone asked me to join his gang. And um, and his mom was like, that is not the high school where you are going to go. Then she just changed her mind, and that was that, which is great. Um, if he'd been even a teeny bit subtler and not said anything to her, who knows what would have happened. <laughs> uh, I did find an online test that you can give your, your patients for a, or your students on, on scam. It's take5-stopfraud.org.uk. Um, personally, I think this would be a great thing to share on um, Facebook because yeah. everybody's parents and grandparents are on Facebook now and they love sharing <laughs> things. So maybe if they shared this, that would be great. I know. I, I keep being told by students that Facebook is for old people. So Instagram and Snapchat, right? <laughs> we haven't got speech science on Snapchat yet. No, I do not want speech science on Snapchat, <laughs> I don't think. Well, uh, stick to the Instagram stories. Yeah, no, Instagram is probably the way to go if you're reaching professionals. Well, and don't forget TikTok, um, which I logged into once and it's... <laughs> <laughs> our alternate universe so i just took the stop the fraud test and i am i love that you just did that while we were chatting good work <laughs> it's eight questions and i am 87 percent likely to identify a fraudulent email or text 
There you go. And I am cognitively put together. So that is maybe this is something I'm going to start looking at, like with my patients, um, just a there's little bit. It's a terrific um, episode of the um, Reply All podcast called What Kind of Idiot Gets Fished, uh, mm, where okay. uh, they basically have an internet security expert try to um, send phishing emails to everyone in their company. And wow. see who falls for it. And the answer was everyone, even the CFO. Um, wow. With little things like instead of, and this is something I look for in all my emails now, instead of gimlet.com, it was gimlet.corn. And huh. RN looks basically the same, even if you're looking pretty closely to an M. Wow. Hmm. Um, huh. So yeah, it's uh, it's actually our parents or grandparents may fall for the um, the really obvious ones, but honestly, it's shocking how easy it is to um, send out an email that lets you gain access to someone else's computer. Um, so on that half. Well, I have a new fear now. Yes, no, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's legitimately terrifying. We won't send you a scam or phishing email, but you should totally, this is what we call a transition. You should totally head over to subscribe.speechsciencepodcast.com and put your email in there and we will send you updates on the speech science crew. Y'all laugh, but I went to four years of undergrad to teach how to do that transition. That was good. I like it. Did you like professional. that? I'm very impressed. We do want to hear from you, though. Go to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. You can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Call us or text us, 614-681-1798. Or also on social media, Michelle. Hit us up on Instagram, speech underscore science, and be sure to hashtag SSPod. You're right now, you're listening to Speech Science. This podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the company behind the self, GFTA, and the brand new PPVT5 and EVT3. These new easy to use vocabulary assessments are brief and reliable for two years, six months old, to those 90 and beyond. Learn more about these new tests at pearsonclinical.com slash exceptional. That's pearsonclinical.com slash XC. E-P-T-I-O-N-A-L. I'm Rachel Meadle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hott. Excited today to be joined by Lynn Williams, PhD, Triple C, 
SLP out of East Tennessee State University as the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs in the College of Clinical and Rehabilitative Health Sciences and Professor in the Department of Audiology and Speech-Language Pathology. Dr. Williams is a candidate for President-Elect. Uh, she is a former ASHA Vice President for Academic Affairs, uh, ASHA Convention Co-Chair back in 2014. She has also has 175 publications and presentations. She was the 2006 ASHA Fellow, the 2019 uh, Distinguished Fellow into the National Academy of Practice, uh, inducted into the West Virginia University College of Human Resources and Education Hall of Fame in 2004, and an Erskine Fellow at the University of Canterbury in Christchurch, New Zealand in 2011. Dr. Williams, Lynn, thank you so much for sitting down today. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. And I think you now have the record of most publications and presentations of anybody that's been on this show. <laughs> well, that they probably weren't folding in all of their presentations and their publications. <laughs> so I, I, I will uh, defer to others in that. Thank you, though. So, Lynn, the first question I ask everybody that I'm getting on the show for these for that are running for an ASHA position is why? Why are you decided that, hey, I want to take on the president-elect role? First and foremost, I, I believe in ASHA's vision statement, making effective communication a human right accessible and achievable for all. I, I think that this is important because it emphasizes not only our role in, in making effective communication accessible and achievable, but I think it also emphasizes the people we serve. We, we need to strengthen not only the advocacy for our services and our professions, but I believe we need to strengthen our advocacy for the rights of people with disabilities around the world. And by increasing awareness about communication disabilities, we will in turn increase awareness of the value of our services. Um, communication disorders have been called the invisible disability. So if we can raise awareness about the, the spectrum of communication disorders. I think when people hear communication disorders or they hear speech language pathology, they think of stuttering, they think of um, articulation and, and producing W for R, but they don't think of the full spectrum of our services, uh, both in terms of age and, and disabilities. I'm, I'm currently working on a narrative analysis on communication disorders and, and health disparities. And it's been really fascinating getting into that literature. And there actually is a significant body of literature on this um, that indicates that people with communication disorders um, have co-occurring chronic health conditions, they have increased number of office visits, increased number of hospitalizations, increased number of emergency department visits, increased medical errors, um, and that co co corresponds with having lower patient satisfaction and also higher provider frustration. Is that, um, is that linked to just being inabil the inability to say their wants, needs, and what their issues are? Or? Right, or being able to hear mm, okay. uh, what, what the provider is asking them uh, and being able to respond uh, effectively. 
um, being able to uh, be compliant and follow through on whatever the recommendations are or what the treatment is. Even simple things like using the telephone to call and make an appointment or, you know, when they're, they're calling with your, your test results um, and being able to hear that or being able to understand that, being able to process that information. Um, and and this, is, this is really significant because 10% of the adult population in the United States has a communication disability. And that's not including the children. This is just saying the adults. And we know that there are issues with children and health outcomes as well. So um, providing care for these patients is going to be inherently more challenging. So it's, it's I also found through this work that the Joint Commission in um, 2010 named patients with communication disorders as a population at high risk for ineffective communication. And they've called for healthcare systems and providers to assure additional supports for effective communication and quality healthcare. Um, and so I see this as this is really a role that we as speech language pathologists and audiologists can fill. We are the communication specialist. Um, so I've, I've kind of given a long, broad answer to why I want to do this, and, that, and, and I think you're probably seeing my passion come out here. Um, but, but I think that, you know, our vision statement, we need to be advocating for our professions, but we also need to be advocating for the people we serve. And, and I think that as audiologists and speech-language pathologists, we need to focus on that bigger picture and, and see the value that we bring to these people, uh, whether they're children or adults, regardless of the communication uh, disability, and, and look at it from the perspective of what impact that's having on population health. So that's, that's the exciting thing for me, and I, and I want us to see that bigger picture and see ourselves in that role in, in being an important contributor on healthcare teams, on education teams. You had mentioned to increase advocacy and awareness. How would you like to see uh, ASHA change their, their advocacy? We're entering into Better Speech and Hearing Month, but you know we don't really see anything like on commercials or on the radio. How would you like to see ASHA change that just you know for more advocacy or more awareness? You know, they, they actually do have some commercials and some pretty cute ones. I don't know if, if you have seen some of those. I've seen them on their website and on Facebook, but not, I don't think, on TV. Are they on TV? Yes, they are on TV. Now, I don't know if it's in certain markets um, because mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a huge cost associated with this. Um, but there is a, a, a very large campaign that ASHA has going in the value of the seas. You've probably heard of that. And I was about. featured in the value of the seas. All right, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with that? Um, they interviewed me for the podcast, actually. Oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> I am I, so delighted to hear that. And I had a friend who was at ASHA. I was unable to go this year, and she just sends me a picture, and it's my big old face on a banner at ASHA. Oh, and that's she's so like, cool. She's like, 
you're not here, but you're here. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, Did I thought she get it was a just a picture of herself with you. <laughs> well, so she sent me a picture and I was like, well, how big is it? And then she took a picture of her standing next to it. And my head is this almost the same height as her body. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, no, I I agreed to let that happen, but I didn't know that was going to be the result. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I'm glad that you were a part of that. So Asha is doing uh, some of this, but I think that we can look at other ways that we can expand that um, in different ways. You know, you don't just say something one way in one venue. You have to say it in multiple ways in multiple venues. Um, so I'm glad that they tapped into what you're doing with your podcast. Um, I, I'm, they're doing things with social media. They're, they have targeted audiences and how it's best to, um, to get this information out to school-based people and, and not just be talking to us. You know, we don't just right. need for us to hear this. We need to have school administrators hear this. We need to have hospital administrators hear this. We need to have legislators and policymakers hear this. And I know that that's all part of their campaign. Um, so I know when I was on the board, I just rotated off of my three-year term in December of 2018 that um, that campaign was funded to continue for a couple more years. So I think that they're doing work, but it takes time. And it's really interesting when they would report to the board what their outcome measures were, um, they were far exceeding industry standards in terms of click rates and oh, open really? rates and audience, audience reach. So I think that it just takes time. Um, we're a large country and um and a, and a large professional association with uh diverse membership and, and diverse practice settings how would you handle or how do you handle you sat on the board mm -hmm. uh, as the vp for academic affairs mm -hmm. there was a video that came out oh two years ago that was just a very cute video that you reminded everyone to you know pay their dues and and up for the next year and I remember just shaking my head because there were so many anti comments that said, oh, my gosh, this is what our money goes to. Mm -hmm. How do you answer that without, you know, going, guys, this video probably cost about 10 bucks. Let's not worry about it too much. <laughs> but how do you handle that? Because there is a lot of concern about our dues costing almost, you know, between four and five hundred dollars that our money's going to the right area and not just a video seen only by SLPs. Right. And, you know, I think this gets to how ASHA communicates with its members, how we communicate what we're doing, what resources we have available, and why we're doing what we're doing. What is the expected outcome of this? Um, and I've heard that a lot throughout this um, campaign season, um, and it's been wonderful having these opportunities like your podcast to hear from members and what things that they're concerned about. And, and dues is something that comes up frequently. Um, the dues have not been raised, um, I think in about 10 years. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and that continued again this year. When you compare our dues to other professional associations like PT and OT, 
they're comparable or less. Um, so I think that we could do a better job communicating about those dues, how they're used, what we're doing with them, and why we're doing the things that we're doing with them. And then, you know, the other thing that I, I think that I've learned over my years, um, both um, being a faculty member and working with students and teaching, as well as an administrator, is, is what Lincoln said, you know, you, you can't please everyone all the time. Um, so if, if, if that's your goal, you're, you're always going to be disappointed because there's going to be someone who sees it a little differently. But you have to shoot for um, what is the, the best for the majority of the people. And, and I have to say that after being on the board of directors, that is the bottom line in every single conversation, every single discussion. How does this member, how does this benefit our members? Um, that's always the focus in every single thing and every dollar that is spent, how does this benefit our members? And I think our members need to hear that and need to know that and need to trust that. As a host of a pseudo internet talk show i can totally agree with you that you cannot please everybody all the time um kind of a transition from that there is some concern that our field because our field is so large we have medical slps we have home health care we have uh you know acute care we have the school based we have you know dialectical coaches or voices uh, how do you balance that? You, you sat on the board. How does ASHA balance that? How do, you, how do you balance the needs of everybody that may be pulling you in different directions? ASHA is a large professional association. We're one of the largest professional association. Um, we have 204,000 members currently. And compare that to related professions, like the APTA has 100,000 members. We have over twice the number of members uh, PT does. Um, AOTA has 60,000 members. So um, with that, we have a, our professional association is large. We have over 300 staff members. And these are some of the hardest working people I have ever met in my life. And I'm a hardworking person. So for me to look at somebody else and say, wow, they are really hardworking. They, they're, they're really working hard. Um, and so they have all of these different divisions um, that are working. They have different focus areas. So um, healthcare, um, schools, um, healthcare economics, um, government relations and public policy, um, practices, whether it's in audiology or in speech language pathology. And, and these people keep their fingers on the pulse of what's going on. Um, and then as members write in and, and let us know about something. Like recently, well, I guess it's been a couple years ago now, you, you may have uh, seen this, this video, I think that it, it went on Facebook and social media, where this person was going through airport security and, um, and the TSA uh, agent 
uh, asked the person what their name was and the person stuttered. Do you remember yes, this? Yes, yes. And that came to the board of directors and ASHA responded by reaching out to TSA and giving them information about um, what is stuttering and, um, and how to interact with a person who stutters. So we have these, we, these different um, teams at ASHA who are working in the different areas, plus we have, we listen to what members are sending us and, and keeping up with, with everything that's happening. I mean, communication, you're asking about the, <laughs> the definition, the, the definition communication is very broad. Um, and as I was saying, involves written, spoken, nonverbal, and it's in our everyday lives. So there's a lot to keep our finger on the pulse. And um, so, you know, then, then these teams are organized in, in broader teams, and, uh, and then there is a facilitating team at ASHA that has the five chief staff officers, one of whom is uh, the, chief, the CSO for communication. So there's a lot going on in a large professional association to try to um, address the the broad scope and spectrum of our services. You kind of hit on it a little bit, and, and I'm going to expand on it. There's a lot of concern lately about research and evidence-based of everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, or, or however you want to look at it, in the media and TV shows, there's a lot of times stuff that are spread that's not, not exactly factual. Right. And we have stuff like RPM that mm-hmm. ASHA spoke out against. Mm-hmm. But how do you help the how do you see help ASHA helping the SLP who says, hey, this is what evidence shows. This is what research shows when there's a lot of pushback nowadays that, oh, is it real evidence? Is it, <laughs> you know, I paid two thousand dollars and this thing worked with somebody. So this might work with my kid. Yeah. Um, and And that's that's really important from the consumer perspective. I, I know a lot of families, they're, and, you know, understandably desperate to mm-hmm. get some help for their child or for their parent or for their partner. And, um, and they're willing to invest this money to, to get that help. And um, so I think that that kind of goes along with the campaign, the value of the seas, the, um, the need to increase awareness of our professions and the value of our services and being able to communicate that clearly, not in in ASHA speak, but in consumer speak that they can digest easily and um, succinctly and and, and trust it. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the FDA seal of approval. You know, ASHA is like the seal of approval. And ASHA is um, very well known, very well respected. Um, and I think we just need to keep doing what we're doing, expanding that, looking for additional ways to do that more effectively. It's funny you say that. I was having lunch today with one of my coworkers. She's an occupational therapist. And we were trading horror stories of like our, you know, externships and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And she was saying how, how many times a doctor would be confused because they would write on their OTPT thinking it was one person. (laughs) 
and I have never had that experience where they go, oh, OTPT SLP. They're always just like OTPT and the SLP. And, and you know, it just made, when you said that, it made me realize that. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you a quick story, Matt. When my first position after I got my master's degree, I worked in a hospital and more than a couple times I was called down to the morgue um, as the, as the pathologist. And it's like, <laughs> no, I am the speech language pathologist. <laughs> I can't help them at this point. <laughs> that is that I, I, I believe that a hundred percent when I was in grad school or I was doing my leveling courses at Kent state, I was working at a big box retail store and someone said, what are you going to school for? And I said, Oh, speech language pathologist. And she was like, well, how do you know what their last words were before they die? And I was like, what? <laughs> so I want to get to know you, Lynn Williams, the candidate, the person behind the candidate. Okay. Um, where are you from? I'm from West Virginia. Okay. And then I saw you went to undergrad at, at West Virginia University. Yes, and my master's degree as well. Okay. And then where did you get your, your, your PhD? At Indiana University. Okay. So you're from the Midwest. I love the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> well, West Virginia, we wouldn't say that's the Midwest. But yes, I did, I did spend time in the Midwest, uh, both at Indiana University. And then one of my uh, academic positions was at Oklahoma State University. Okay. okay. So... How do you feel that helps or hurts you being from, you, you say it's not the Midwest. I went to school in Appalachia, Ohio. So I'm like, oh, we're all in the same area. Uh, <laughs> how does that, that help that you're not, you know, an East Coast, West Coaster? Well, you know, I think, Matt, I come from a very different background than, um, than, than most other people who would, would have this opportunity and be on the ballot for board of directors. I um, came from West Virginia. My father was a coal miner. I grew up in a coal camp and went to a small little school that had two rooms. Um, Ms. Miner taught grades one through three and the principal, Mr. Billups, taught grades four through six. Wow. So we did not have any special services. You know, we just <laughs> had the principal and this one teacher and they handled everything. Um, and there was no bus duty because you just walked uh, to, to school. Um, so I didn't have any idea what a speech language pathologist was. And when I got to high school, I, um, I, I knew I wanted to do something that was in the helping profession. And I knew I liked to talk. So I put speech and therapy together, <laughs> <laughs> having no idea the expansiveness of this profession or the opportunities that would be available. Um, so that's how I got started. And I think from that, um, I, I was also extremely focused. I, I'm a first generation college student. Um, my father became disabled with black lung and I'm the youngest of four children by a long shot. So um, there wasn't any thought or money to send me to college. Um, but because my father was disabled, I got SSI benefits. Uh, as long as I was a full-time student up to age 21. So I had to go in very focused um, that this is what I'm going to do. I didn't have the luxury of, you know, well, let me try this out or, you know, no, that didn't work. I'm going this way. 
And um, so I graduated in three years with my bachelor's degree. I graduated in August, and then a couple weeks later started my master's program uh, at West Virginia University as well. So um, I, I don't know if that gets at your question, but I think I have a different perspective. I, I think that I come from more of a grassroots kind of perspective. Um, I've had to work hard for everything that I have achieved, but I've also been given incredible opportunities along the way. So even though I was limited, I needed to go to an in-state school. Um, I had so many opportunities at West Virginia University. When I was there, um, the faculty, most of the faculty who I had are still there. But they were new. They were just coming <laughs> in with their PhDs. They were dynamic. They were energetic. Um, and I had opportunities. Um, I, I did a semester-long externship at uh, Johns Hopkins Kennedy Institute, which is now called Kennedy Krieger Institute. Um, I got to work with Norm Lass, who's an internationally known speech scientist and uh, work in his lab and, and speech perception. I got to work with my dear colleague and mentor to this day, he's my mentor, Denny Russello, um, who taught me the basics of uh, articulation and clinical phonology. And I remember when I went to um, Kennedy and I was talking about phonological processes. And at that time, you know, this was um, 1970 eight um, or 1979 this was just at the beginning of that revolution and um, and people were excited oh I haven't I haven't heard about this so um, so I had these wonderful opportunities and then when I was at Hopkins I had these amazing supervisors Betty Stark uh, from a Roth Linda Malosky. These are people who at the time I couldn't appreciate their position in the field. Um, and then from there, um, I, I met Mary Elbert and she invited me to come and tour the campus at IU. And, um, and, and I just got this fabulous um, education that has served me throughout my career. And, um, and and just a, a, a funny little story, Matt. When when I went to um, IU for my PhD program, and you know I got a full scholarship. That was at the time it came uh, around the same time that Barbara Streisand's movie Yentl came out. Oh. And remember, <laughs> she she disguised herself as a male so that she was allowed to get an education. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but it was like, it just kept running through my head. I'm walking through this beautiful campus. It's like, I get to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like Yentl. <laughs> So what made you want to go and get your PhD? You know, so um, my first position out of my master's degree was a hospital job. And, and it was interesting back then, that was not common for speech language pathologists to be in hospitals. Oh. Um, and so I was applying widely and including Moose Jaw Canada. And I remember um, 
the person who was interviewing me said that the local radio station had this competition and that first place winner uh, won a week in Moose Jaw, Canada, and second place won two weeks in Moose Jaw, Canada. <laughs> so anyway, it just wasn't working out, and, and I wanted to work in, in the hospital because that would allow me to see the spectrum of communication disorders, you know, from children to adults, inpatient, outpatient, and a range of communication disorders. So that was really fabulous. And, and, and I had to create that position because it didn't exist. So I went back to my hometown in Beckley, West Virginia, to a local hospital where actually I was born. It was a former United Mine Workers Hospital. And, um, and I met with the hospital administrator and told him who I was and what I could do. And, um, and fortunately, he gave me time and listened to me. And he said, well, I'd like for you to meet with our director of medical records and go through the admissions of the past 12 months and see how many of those patients you could have seen. Oh, and wow. I brought that information to him. And this hospital was part of this healthcare system. It was the former UMWA um, hospitals that were in the coal fields of West Virginia and Kentucky and Virginia. And he took it to their executive board of directors and they approved it. So I got to start um, this clinic. And, um, and fortunately, then I was invited to this board of directors and they wanted to know how they could start it. And so I got to help start other programs in hospitals in Harlan, Kentucky, and Hazard, Kentucky, and Whitesburg, Kentucky. And, and I think now all of the hospitals in that system have speech-language pathology services. Um, so you see I'm a little scrappy coming from, from the <laughs> coal camp. But anyway, after doing that for a few years, I think I realized how much I didn't know and I wanted to know more. And I, and there were two populations that I felt I, I could see that what I did made a difference. And that was working with laryngectomies. There were a lot of coal miners who'd had laryngectomies. And then the other population is children who were um, severely unintelligible, highly unintelligible. So I decided to focus on that area. And through Denny Russello, he had introduced me to Mary Elbert, who was this nationally known um, child uh, phonologist at IU. And she invited me there to um, tour the campus and, and convinced me this is where I needed, needed to be. I, I, that is awesome. Like I kind of know the areas that you were talking about. Do you? I, so I went to school at Muskingum, which is in New Concord, Ohio. And uh -huh. for the baseball team, we would travel to, uh, you know, Bluffton, Virginia, West Virginia. We would oh, go yeah. down to Marietta, Ohio or St. Mm -hmm. Clairsville. So like I recognize the names. I've never been to some of those right. towns, but, uh, I also had a college roommate, uh, his family, uh, in West Virginia, I guess this would make sense to you. Uh, he, they owned the only company in that area that would fix mining equipment. Oh yes. So like we, we would go home with him and then he would take us to these small towns and be like, Hey, so we're going to go eat dinner here because this is a cool place to eat. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that is a fabulous experience. Um, so while we start to wrap things up, I want to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. Let's say everything works out in your favor. You're elected the president elect. You become president, then you're the past president. Mm -hmm. After those three years, 
what would you like to see have been accomplished that you could say, I did a good thing and I left a good impression on ASHA? Left it better than I found it, as they say. Yeah. Um, I actually have three important things that I would like to accomplish during that three-year term. One is um, to, to work on finding more effective ways to communicate with our membership. And going back to the definition of communication where it takes at least two, it's a two-way communication. So it's not only how effective is ASHA in getting information out to the members, but also how effective is ASHA receiving information from members. Um, so I, I think that that would be one thing uh, that I would like to, to look at and, and work on. And I know that ASHA, as I mentioned, is already addressing that. And, and part of that is, you know, information saturation. You know, if you get everything through email, you start not paying attention to it. And so I know that they're looking at metrics, kind of some smart metrics at um, getting emails out to people that would be of interest to them. So if you're in the schools, you're not getting emails related to healthcare and vice versa. But also a, a recent example of successful communication was a little over a year ago when then President, um, ASHA President Gail Richard held this um, schools town meeting. And that was a wonderful example of effective communication and allowed that two-way communication. So I'd like to continue to work with that uh, and expand on that. Um, another uh, accomplishment that I would like to achieve is um, ASHA having a, a bigger place at the table for interprofessional education and collaborative practice. As the Vice President for Academic Affairs and Speech-Language Pathology, that was one of the areas I worked quite a bit in. And ASHA became a member of IPEC, the Interprofessional Education Collaborative, in January 2017. We're one of 20 uh, professional associations that um, is a member of, of IPEC. And um, as a matter of fact, in next month, I will be the first member of ASHA to be invited to speak at one of their IPAC faculty institutes in Washington, D.C. So they will hear from a speech language pathologist, you know, <laughs> we, we, will, we are part of that rehab team and that uh, education team. It's not just PT and OT. Um, so I would like to, uh, to work on that. And I've, and I've, have a depth of experience not only on the board but in my role as academic dean here in clinical rehab and health sciences at my college. Um, we ha I, I oversee nine different allied health programs and I'm currently working with faculty and developing three new ones. Um, so we've got audiology, speech, PT, nutrition, social work, radiography, dental hygiene, cardiopulmonary service, and um, rehabilitative health sciences. And we're working on an OTD program, um, a master's degree in prosthetics and orthotics, and a PhD in rehab sciences. And we have a very strong emphasis on interprofessional education and collaboration here at ETSU. And our a national model uh, for that in um, the IPE world. 
So I, that's the second thing. The third thing, and this, this is probably the biggest thing and will have the biggest impact on speech language pathologists, and that is addressing the academic preparation of future practitioners in speech language pathology. I'm currently chairing the ad hoc committee on graduate education and speech language pathology. So I am deeply um, involved in this and committed to this. So the master's degree has been the entry level degree for speech language pathology for 54 years. Mm -hmm. We were the first profession in 1965 to move to the master's degree as the entry level degree. And ironically, if we do move to the clinical doctorate as the entry level degree, we will be the last to do so. Um, it has also been 12 years since the last educational summit in speech language pathology. So it's time. It's time that we look at this. Um, our scope of practice is expanding, our use of extenders um, to be able to practice at the top of our license. Um, also, um, being able to provide effective delivery of service across the continuum of care. All of these are important, uh, along with the changes in education and healthcare landscapes that are influencing academic preparation. So we need to effectively respond to these changes in ways that um, position our profession to be at the forefront of discussions and demonstrate the value of our professions. And, um, and you know, so we, we have 13 members on this ad hoc committee. They represent um, the, the diverse perspectives. Uh, we have representative from um, the uh, CFCC, which is the Council for uh, Clinical Certification, a representative from CAA, the Council for Academic Accreditation. Um, we have um, representatives from healthcare, from schools. We have a recent master's graduate, a recent SLPD graduate. <clears throat> we have um, relevant board members, so the VP for Academic Affairs and Audiology, uh, Academic Affairs and Speech Language Pathology, the VP for Standards and Ethics, the VP for um, SLP Practice. And we have done a deep dive in, um, in looking at the educational models of 22 related professions, oh, wow. uh, looking at their educational models, looking at um, competency-based educational models. Um, and at this point, we, we are just gathering the, the evidence and synthesizing the data. Uh, we have six subcommittees within this ad hoc committee. I just had a call with them on Tuesday night, and we are now moving towards summarizing and synthesizing the data from each of those subcommittees and then we'll have a face-to-face -face meeting in June. And that's when we're going to do the hard work and taking all that information and moving to actionable recommendations. And one of the non-starters for us though, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. And I've asked all of 
uh, my committee members go into this with an open mind and that we're not saying, well, I'm for this and I'm for that. And then we're duking it out. We're, <laughs> we're, we're looking at the evidence and doing this in a very thoughtful, thorough and deliberate way. But one of the non-starters is whatever the recommendation is, we do not want that to increase student debt. I and, like that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I would say is, you know, it has become clear that we have given away the bachelor's degree and we are trying to cram all of this scope of practice and continuum of care uh, of our services into two years. So we have a four plus two model. Um, so we're trying to be creative and look at things like, what if we did a three plus three model? So that doesn't increase the uh, student debt and the time that they're in, um, in school, but it does give more time to focus on the breadth of our scope of practice. So those are the three things. That would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Williams, Lynn, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I, I really do appreciate it. I loved it, Matt. I hope we can do this again sometime. Totally. I want to talk more about the clinical doctorate next time. I want to talk about the new model of phonological intervention that oh, you created. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> You've got to come back. When win, lose, or draw, you're coming back Absolutely. on the show. Absolutely. Awesome. And thank you so, so much, Matt. I have enjoyed it. No problem. Thank you, Lynn. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot. Excited as always, to be joined by Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? Still here, still doing well. Summer Lore, how are you? I'm terrific. And we are recording this again, like we said earlier in the show, the Friday before Easter, which means three days ago, ASHA elections opened up. So if you don't know who to vote for, make sure you check out our previous podcasts. Uh, we did a nice long one, uh, almost a three-hour episode, uh, where we interviewed all three uh, VP of planning candidates for ASHA. You can hear their whole extended interviews as well. We talked about the individuals running for the other offices. The episode last week, we had Howard, Dr. Howard Goldstein on, uh, president-elect, and he talks a little bit about his platform. And we may have a couple more coming up around the bend, but I wanted to take just 30 seconds to show how easy it is to vote in the ASHA elections because it's important that we in the schools or you in the home health care or medical, you pick who you want to vote for and you get who you want to lead. So quickly on a podcast, I'm going to explain how we do this. Google ASHA elections, the first link, nominations and elections. It opens up. I clicked on vote now. It says, what is your eight digit ASHA account number. What is your last name? I put, oh, I misspelled my last name. Put that in there. Log in. I saved and I've got, I'm going to vote for this person. I'm going to vote for this person. Oh, I cannot vote for the audiologist person because I'm not an audiologist. Interesting. Seems like a good idea. You're going to vote for that one. Continue. Yes, those are the people. And I voted. Took what, 10 seconds? Maybe 20. Maybe 20. I, I did misspell my own last name. So. <laughs> <laughs> so for the whole month, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to put the ASHA elections in there because we do here at, at Speech Science feel it's important that you vote for uh, your ASHA representatives. 
our go-home feel-good story of the day. This is coming out of Bakersfield.com. A local special education teacher receives the Teacher Innovator of the Award from the Henry Ford Museum. Michelle, you found the story. What is going on with Mr. Kevin Crosby? Uh, Matt, I'm sorry. You're not, I'm not prepared for that answer right now. <laughs> <laughs> This was your story. I know, but my computer is being really slow, and I thought I oh. it froze for a second, and I thought I lost you, and then it came back to you going, Michelle. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so I will say this. He's worked at the Independence High School from 2010 to 2014. Uh, he created the Falcon Autistic Solar Team uh, for special education students. The students built the cars uh, basically to race in the solar races, the solar car races. And it- how cool is that? It's pretty awesome. And uh, if you're wondering about the acronym, uh, Falcon Autistic Solar Team spells fast. So that's why he picked it for his team. That's fantastic. So, so shout out to Kevin Crosby, Independence High School teacher uh, out there in Bakersfield. Hey, our little countdown says we have eight minutes left. So let's try to wrap it up before that. Summer, we always end our show. What is something you're looking forward to? Uh, doing either therapy or not therapy in the next week. I am really looking forward to. Um... Can you come back to me? Yes, Michelle, what is something fun or exciting you're looking forward to in the next week? Well, I'm enjoying some time with family up in Ohio for Easter weekend and enjoying the long. And not calling your friend Matt, evidently. Hey, Matt, you know Continue. what? I'm only two hours away from you, so it goes both ways. <laughs> details happy easter though happy easter as well hey i can come Summer. by your house with a oh, cat sorry. if you want me to <laughs> i've got three you if you three need a fourth if, uh, yeah we have three my grandma's white paws and then we have thor and loki. i mean i knew about thor and loki but i didn't know you had a third yeah we have our third cat white paws he lives with in the basement with my mother-in-law Aww. so there we go yeah and none of that was a joke so <laughs> <laughs> i didn't think it was <laughs> Summer, what is going on with you? I am really excited about um, working on core words with my students, um, some of whom have new devices, which is really exciting. And we are doing core words with ramps. We are sending balls down ramps and doing some problem solving and using verbs like put and hold and go and stop and it's very exciting that's awesome for me uh working on getting a new student an aac device and also the things that i pre-ordered at gamestop come in this week so i might be a little bit more excited for that yes i'm a nerd surprise i'm a nerd he says that as though all of you can see his action figures (laughs) behind his Yes, that is true. I almost bought an ant, a life-size Ant-Man helmet to put in my uh, shelving unit right here. So, I just want to say He's that. pointing to his shelving unit just so you won't Yes, know. I am pointing in the audio main, main stream. All right. Our intro music tonight is Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share-alike license. Our new bump music you heard last week for the first time, it's County Fair Rock. Copyright of John Deku. You can find out more of his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. And our closing music that you hear right now, it's the slow burn by Kevin McLeod. 
That's licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, in the game of life, be a willow, because under pressure, the oak, which you would think would be nice and strong, will crack under that first bit of pressure. The willow will bend and return to true form. For Summer Lore, Michelle Wintering, I'm Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye, Matt. Nice work. Thanks for joining us, Summer. Yeah, this was fun. We like it. It's fun to see each other's faces. Chat speech things. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.